as we come to the Word this morning, I do want to make a couple of announcements, and I, I want to begin with this. I, I don't often think to include it, but uh, one of the good things that the Lord has accomplished through COVID was that he, um, he moved us in the direction of having some kind of online presence, and there are many people missing today, and, and it's a day in which I am grateful that you can be with us uh, I don't even know where to look. Do I look in that camera? I'm grateful that you can be with us. Uh, really, we are, and, and we want you to understand that <clears throat> our hearts are with you, and uh, we have not forgotten you. We know you wish you could be here. We wish you could be here. Uh, Jeff just prayed for you and prayed at some length, and uh, the church has been praying for you. We will continue to pray for you, but um, we're thankful to the Lord that you could be here with us uh, through the internet. Um, secondly, we, you need to know that home fellowship groups will begin on the 15th again of January. Uh, if you are not signed up already, you're welcome to stay in the home fellowship group you're in, of course, but you can sign up for another group or um, sign up perhaps for the first time they're outside or out in the foyer there. And then the other thing is we will have our regular fellowship meal and um, we'll enjoy the Lord's Supper next week. So we'll look forward to doing that together. I am glad to see those of you who are able to make it this morning and glad that the Lord has spared me what I know has been for some of you a, a multi-week uh, endurance of runny noses and all the rest of it. So... We're thankful that you could be here. I guess my question this morning, as you heard on January 1st, 2023, that's the first time I've said it, um, I wondered what happened in your heart when you saw that we were headed back to Luke chapter 2 and Christmas. I wondered how your Christmas fatigue might be at this point, and one reason I wanted to preach on this passage, it was a lesser reason, but one is that we need to die to that sort of thing, right? We can weary of the trappings of Christmas, but we never weary of Christ. We never weary of the incarnation. We never weary of the wonder that this passage speaks of. And I want to encourage you as we take one more look, sort of one eye, I guess, on, at Christmas, and the other eye on the new year, um, to not allow familiarity to, to breed contempt. I, I do want to talk to you at the end of this message about a resolution or two, so you can kind of think of this message as a Christmas message for the new year. You can think about it that way, okay? Um, I have been living really with what I would say is a perpetual burden on my heart, both personally and pastorally, for a long time, it never seems to really get very far from me. And that is the issue of evangelism. And by that I mean how earnest we are, how earnest I am as an individual to get the name of the Lord Jesus Christ out, to get the gospel out, to make his name known to the world. Someone has said the great challenge in life is to keep the main thing the main thing. And God, of course, is the main thing, but he has given us a main task, hasn't he? And that is to make his son 
known, to make this gospel known. And so when I talk about evangelism, I'm not talking about a class, I'm not talking about something that's done here corporately as much in this message as I want you to be thinking personally about the extent to which you are in relationship with unbelievers and making Christ known. I spent a lot of time contemplating this passage. It just seemed like everything I thought about this this year is over the Christmas season really kind of came out of Luke 2 and it had me thinking about evangelism even from a different angle. So let's look at this amazing record. We're not going to look at the whole of it, which Austin read earlier, but simply from verses 8 through verse 20. Let's look at this amazing record again, this birth announcement of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to note, first of all, that this is an announcement of good news. What is evangelism? It is an announcement of good news. And you say, no, duh, but I challenge you to think through that a little bit about the way your heart tends to engage with the idea of evangelism, when you think about talking to someone else about the Lord Jesus Christ, do you come at it from a vantage point of, I have good news for you? I'm eager to share good news. Why am I hesitant then to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? It's a good question and one that needs to be faced. Look at verse eight. What is the gospel, what is this announcement? First of all, it's an announcement of good news. Verse eight, in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. Here these shepherds are outside Bethlehem, a little town somewhere between probably 300 to 1,000 people. They're outside of the city. They're seated on a hill and we're told that they are shepherds and we shouldn't overlook that. This heavenly announcement, this birth announcement of announcements, the greatest reveal of all time is made to shepherds. A few shepherds on a hill outside a city which apart from the Bible really had no renown. If we're honest, this isn't the group of people that we send our birth announcements to. And we would have expected this announcement to be some, in, in some sort of dramatic fashion to the world. After all, it is a, an announcement for all peoples as we shall see. It, it should have been something that was primetime news. It should have been something that was loud, something that was proud. It should have at least been something that was announced to the religious leaders of the day, it should have been made to priests, not shepherds. We would have expected this announcement to be made in a place perhaps like Jerusalem or like Rome, but not Bethlehem, let alone some outlying hill where there's a bunch of sheep and a few shepherds. And it's amazing, isn't it, when you think about it? God could have done this in any way he wanted to, with any kind of fanfare, and yet this is what he chose. A few insignificant shepherds on a 
insignificant hill outside of an insignificant city. The shepherd was at the very bottom of the social ladder. They were downtrodden and despised. They were held in low esteem. They lived like animals. They smelled like animals. They were unsophisticated and uneducated. They were blue collar. They were minimum wage. They were menial. They were day laborers. The Midrash, which is an ancient Jewish commentary in the Old Testament, says, quote, no position in the world is as despised as a shepherd. It's ironic, isn't it, that the shepherd motif in Scripture is, is one that is significant and always viewed positively. Abraham was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. David was a shepherd. Pastors are referred to as shepherds. Jesus himself is referred to as the good shepherd. And this proclamation is made to the least and to the last. And ultimately, brothers and sisters, this ought to encourage us a ton because the good news of God was not for the elite only, not for the wealthy only, not for those who are people of significance, but for people like most of us. Lowly people, humble people, day laborers, minimum wage people, those who are not noble, those who are not powerful, those who are not elite. Everything about this is utterly unexpected. We would not expect kings to be born in obscurity. We do not expect royalty to rest in a manger. We do not expect noble birth announcements to be something like this. They're cause for the paparazzi. But no, this message goes to the ignoble and the despised and the unimportant and the culturally insignificant. The king of kings announced without fanfare on an obscure hill in a rural backwater town before some hayseed shepherds in the middle of the night. And it was on that hillside that something very dramatic happened. Look at verse 9. An angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. My friends, put yourself there. Think with me. Don't hear this again as part of the Christmas play. Think about it. Seated on a hill at night. And the Lord, the angel of the Lord, suddenly stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terribly frightened. It's just another Tuesday. We're just out here with the sheep. There are the stars. They're sparkling in the sky. It's a little chilly, perhaps. The grass has dew on it. They're looking out and nothing is happening. It's just a normal day. And suddenly, they're overwhelmed, utterly and extremely startled when this angel from heaven appears in their midst and the pitch dark mountainside suddenly is glaringly bright all around them and the glory not of angels but the glory of the Lord shone around them. The very light of divine majesty 
You can't think of it because if you could really put yourself there, you'd be like everybody else in the Bible, every other human who had a glimpse of the glory of the Lord. What happens every time? They're on their face like a dead man. This is terrifying. The word glory in the Old Testament often refers to the Shekinah, that that blazing glory cloud of light that represented the visible presence of God. Paul is relaying to those who are trying him and he's telling his story about the road to Damascus experience. Do you remember that? He was struck down and he was blinded. And as Paul relays it, he says this, that the light of the Lord's presence was brighter than the sun. Think of it, it was midday when Paul was struck down. And yet there was a light that was brighter than the intensity of the, of the sun. Revelation speaks of the Lord's face as shining like the sun in its strength. In fact, the New Jerusalem, Revelation 21, we read that it will have no need of sun or of the moon to shine on it for the glory of the Lord has illumined it and its lamp is the Lamb. Now I know you've walked out of a theater in the midsummer, and your eyes were adjusted to the darkness in that theater and when you walked out into the glaring sunlight, what happens? You're blind for a moment. Your eyes hurt as your pupils are adjusting. You young people, you'd relate to this maybe better. There you are in bed on Saturday morning thinking wrongly that you're gonna get to sleep in. And your folks walk in and flip the light on and you say to them as you cover your eyes, why are you doing this to me? Well, because Dave's gonna use it as an illustration and he wants you to know something of what those shepherds experienced on the hill. Brothers and sisters, this isn't Linus talking to you here. This is the light of the glory of God coming to humanity. These angels have been in the presence of God ever since they were created. Do you remember when Moses, after spending just a a little while with God on a mountain, comes down and he had to veil himself because of the glory? We've got those dumb little things that we stick on our walls that you expose them to a little bit of light and they, 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 they kind of go that, that, that sort of green glow in the dark thing for a few seconds. It doesn't take long around the Lord of glory for you to glow for a long time. This is profound, more profound than we think it is. And these shepherds, no wonder they were terribly frightened. It says, literally, they feared with mega fear. They feared with great fear. This is that hair-raising, goosebump-producing, knee-knocking, paralyzing fear. They were terrified at what they were experiencing. So verse 10, the angel says to them, do not be afraid. (laughs) I love it. Okay, I won't be. Do not be afraid, he says. For behold, I bring you, note this, good news of great joy. 
This word for good news is the same word which is used for gospel. It's Yuan Galizo. We, we get the word evangelism from this word. This angel is an evangelist. He is preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and he refers to it as good news and he declares it to the shepherds. This, this is a herald of hope. A herald of hope. Not foremost a herald of judgment. Not foremost, a herald of hell, a herald of hope. And it's not just news, but it's good news. And it's not just good news bringing a bit of joy, but it is good news of great joy for everyone who will receive it. This is the best news that has ever been spoken to sinners. There is... No one who's ever heard better news than this. No one has ever spoken better news than this. And I want you to note very carefully that verse 10 continues. It is good news of great joy, which will be for all the peoples. Imagine how that must have sounded in the ear of these lowly shepherds. They were no name. Nobody paid any attention to them. They were just people who were essentially invisible. And here this glorious angel declares the gospel of Christ. And he says, this is for everybody. Can you imagine how that sounded in these no account shepherds ears? Not good news of great joy for the elites and the educated and the wealthy and the well-born, but for all the people, not just the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but the Amharets, the people of the land, the common people, the insignificant people, the people that everybody else just walked by and blew off. The unsophisticated, and, and not just for Jews alone, but a message for Gentiles, though it would go to the Jews first. And it's for young and it's for old and it's for male and it's for female and it's for those of you who are slaves and it is for those of you who are free. It is a message of good news, of great joy for everyone who's humble enough to receive it. So it is an announcement of good news and it is an announcement of great joy. I want you to note, secondly, this announcement is an announcement of a Savior born to sinners. Look at verse 11. Here we get the content of the announcement of this great reveal of the Son of God. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. What? A baby. When? Today. Where? In the city of Bethlehem. This was the city, not of Jerusalem, but of Bethlehem, the city of David. It's where David was born. It was his home city. There's much Old Testament prophecy wrapped up in the place of this birth. And to whom? Well, there has been born. To whom? How would you answer the question? Well, he's been born to Mary. He's been born to Joseph. That's not what the text says. For today in the city of David, 
There's been born for you. For you, a savior. Not just for all the people, but for you. My friend, if you are here this morning, if you are within earshot of this message, have have you come to a point in your life where you have thought about this announcement as personally as these shepherds would have heard it? There has been born for you and for you and you a savior. Christ the Lord. Now all three of these things define the person and the work of Jesus. He is savior. Matthew 1.21 says, you, you shall call his name Jesus. Joseph and Mary were not like you and I. We, we got to go to the baby book and find the name we liked and we gave it to our kid because we had authority to do it. Well, this isn't primarily Joseph and Mary's kid. This kid comes via heaven. He comes from above. He is God and he is the son of God and as such, God the Father names Christ. He says, this one, Joseph, Mary, you shall call Jesus. And there was a reason for that. And Matthew one twenty one gives it to us. For he shall save his people from their sins. This name, Jesus, is from Joshua, which is a derivative of Yahweh, which has the idea of Yahweh saves. That's really what the name Jesus means. In other words, Jesus' name declares his mission. He is a savior. That's not just a title or a station that he has, but it's actually what Jesus does. You see, so many people get this wrong. They think that Jesus came to open a door for salvation so that people could just simply walk through it. But that's not the testimony of Scripture. Jesus is a savior in the sense that he comes and he saves you. He takes you who were dead in trespasses and sins and makes you alive together with him. Christ reaches out and plucks you like a brand from the fire. He rescues you. That's the idea of salvation. He delivers us from the devil and the kingdom of darkness. He redeems us from enslavement to sin and its consequences. He rescues us from the wrath of God that we are due. And my friend, it it ought to be very clear to you that if to you is born a savior, then you must need a what? A savior. You see, the clear implication of this text is that there is a problem between you and God. And sinners like you and sinners like I need a savior. We need to be saved from sin. We need to be saved from judgment. We need to be saved from hell. And the whole world, frankly, and this is the bad news to which the good news answers, the bad news is mankind is at war with God. And as Jeff put it this morning, worse off, God is at war with mankind and God has sent his son as a peace offering. And he will establish peace with you, but you must come to the table on his terms. And his terms are one. And his name is Jesus Christ. He is the only way to the Father. 
You must come in repentance and faith and trust in the provision that God made in his son. There is no name under heaven by which one must be saved. Listen, to neglect Christ is to neglect salvation. Reject Jesus, you're destined for hell. Reject Jesus, you're doomed. Come to Christ. There's hope and there's life and there's peace. This child was given for you. Have you come all the way to him? He is also the Christ. That is a title, and it means anointed one. Jesus is the Christ. He is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises about the coming Messiah. He is the one who has been specially anointed by God as a prophet. He came to reveal God to us. He came to speak the truth of the word of God that we might know God and know God's ways, that we might see ourselves for who we really are. The word of God is a mirror in which we see our sin and our need. And the word of God is that which leads us to Christ. We find knowledge of the gospel in the word of God. Jesus came as a prophet, specially anointed by God. He also came as a priest. A priest represents the people before God. And he came to represent us not with the blood of bulls and goats like the other human earthly priests, but he came offering up himself, his pure and precious and perfect sinless blood, that he might atone for our sins, one sacrifice for all time. Not only was the anointed priest and the anointed prophet, but also the anointed king. The Bible teaches that God has already installed his king. Jesus Christ rules this universe. As much as it may not appear that way now, you will see it in time. Christ is God's king, and he is the ultimate king. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he has been anointed and installed to reign and to rule forever and ever. He is savior, he is Christ, and this text tells us, the angel tells us his name is Lord. And this is the most common name for Jesus in all the Bible, and it's an amazing title when you think that it was given to a baby in a manger. Particularly under these humble circumstances, this was not some, some visible prince of a, a notable king who one day would inherit his father's throne. No, this is Lord at birth. This is the one who is master and ruler and sovereign one. In the Septuagint, which is the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the most common usage to translate God's personal name is this word, kurios, Lord. In other words, Jesus is God. That's what this text teaches. And he alone has the right to rule the world. All authority, Jesus says, in heaven and in earth has been given to me. And my friend, he has the right to your life. Your life was not given to you for your pleasure. Your life was not given to you for, for you. Your life was given to you that you might live to him, that you might represent him in this life. That when people look at you, they see a billboard for the glory and the wonder and the transforming power of the grace of God. Most of us live for things far too small. 
And you need to understand that when you turn to Jesus Christ for eternal life, you come to him as Lord. It's a package deal. You cannot have Jesus as Savior if you will not bow to him as Lord. The demons believe that he is a savior. The demons have accurate theology. What the demons will not do is bow the knee before him and follow him. My friend, that is the call to discipleship of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would, that you would deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. He is savior, he is Christ, and he is Lord. And it is all or nothing. Where are these shepherds going to find this baby in town? Not a small challenge when you think about it. The angel tells them, it's not that difficult. Here's your sign. This is what you're looking for. He says this, verse 12, this will be a sign for you. You're gonna find a baby in claws. Okay, no big deal. Here's the issue. Laying in a manger, that's strange. That word for manger is nothing other than a feeding trough. I don't know where you put your child, but I never put mine in a feeding trough. Never. I think it's amazing. You know, we don't, we don't have any direct commandment here for these shepherds. I want to come back to the shepherds at the end. There's no direct commandment to the shepherds to go and see the Christ child. What's happening with them? He says, he just assumes they're going. You're going, I know you're going, and I got a sign for you. I'll tell you how to find him. This is an ancient GPS. You just look for this baby in claws, laying in a manger. Everything had been providentially planned out, and it will be easy to find him. This will be a sign. You're gonna go to town. You're gonna tell them what happened. You're gonna talk to a few people, and they'll point you in the right direction. I think we can safely assume most of that is the way this went down. And this is the sign. This king, this Messiah, this Savior, this Christ, this Lord, this person that I've spoken about in the most noble of terms, you're going to find in a feeding trough. Huh. Unthinkable. And yet this is the way it was for our Lord from the beginning to end, wasn't it? Humble, despised, rejected of men, no room in the inn. And this was the course for his earthly life. He is the homeless king who will ride on the foal of a colt into his city and be rejected and ultimately die on a cross for our sins. What astonishing condescension, but it all fits. This announcement is, is just the way it is. The greatest news made to humble people and, and, and the greatest gift of all time, laying in a feeding trough. Well, there's a third way that we should think about this announcement and I want you to reflect on your own life here as we consider this. This is an announcement. You can write these down. I did this not to be silly and goofy or just a preacher. I did this so that you can hang on to it. It is an announcement for worship and for wonder and for witness. For worship and for wonder and for witness. That is the, 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 the purpose of this announcement. 
Somebody rightfully said that evangelism exists, missions exist because worship doesn't. That's right. We'll come back to witness. Note first, verse 13, that the angels worshiped. And suddenly there appeared with the angel, we're back to suddenly again, there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts. That word host refers to army. There is an a literal, an army of angels now attending this announcement and they are praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. These angels come en masse and they give what amounts to a two-part prayer. They first declare glory to God in the highest. Maybe you felt some measure of that. I've got my granddaughter here today, did I tell you? Her first time at Foothill Christian Fellowship after the, you know, out of utero. You look at that baby and you just think to yourself, glory to God. What an amazing gift. But oh, for a thousand tongues to sing the glory of this baby, right? Glory to God in the highest. And the thought isn't necessarily in the highest form. He, they're just saying, look, glory to God in heaven for this child that has come down to earth, and really in that statement alone, they encompass the whole of humanity. Like Psalm 117 says, that, that all the nations ought to give glory to God. All the created order ought to declare the, the magnificence of our King. And so it is that God should reserve for himself universal praise. And then the angels speak these words, peace to those with whom God is pleased or with whom God has good pleasure. Frankly, one of the greatest deceptions of Christmas in our culture is that Jesus came to bring peace to all of mankind. That is not true biblically. In fact, Jesus put it this way, do not think that I came to bring peace for I did not come to bring peace but a sword I'm going to separate people. I'm going to separate marriages. I'm going to separate families. I'm going to separate the closest of human relationships will divide over me. And the implication of this statement is also something that is worth paying attention to. If it's peace to earth on earth with those with whom God is well pleased, that assumes that what? There are many on this earth with whom God is not well pleased. And it is God's grace, his sovereign grace alone, that God is pleased with any of us. God did not give Christ because we had been such good people, such honoring people, such, such a godly creation. That wasn't it. He gave Christ as a savior of sinners to the unworthy. He had pleasure on us of his own free and sovereign will. 
And God's peace in Christ, get this, comes as a gracious gift. Not to the righteous, but to the needy, to the humble, to those who are objects of God's goodwill. One commentator put it this way, quote, in each case where the word good pleasure occurs in the New Testament, it refers to God's sovereign good pleasure. And so a clearer way, perhaps, I don't know what your translation reads, but you could, you could read this better this way, that this peace that's coming is toward men on whom God's sovereign pleasure rests. And if you're like me, the first question, when you realize that this is a question of eternity, a question of heaven and hell, is how do I get in on God's good pleasure? And the answer is simple. You receive the gift of his son. Those are the terms of peace. You don't need to go any further than that. Do you want the pleasure of God? Do you want the pleasure of God in your life? Do you want him to delight in you? Do you want to know him and to, and to be with him for all eternity? It's simply this. Receive the son whom he sent. Turn from trusting yourself and your own goodness and your own moral uprightness. Turn away from your sin and repent and turn to God and say, Lord, I want your pleasure which is only found in Christ. I come humbly to believe in him. And I tell you this, he will in fact forgive you, that is his promise. He will receive you to himself. He casts away none who come. Come. Don't get lost in all kinds of arguments about this issue. Just simply come. Lay down your pride, put it away, and bow your knee, and he will save you. This is the good news of the gospel. Well, the angels worshiped. Look at verse 18, and we see the wonder of those present at the manger. We don't really know. We can't reconstruct this to know exactly how many people were around. I'm going to guess this probably was not like your little nativity that fits on that little side table you've got at home where there were, there were just, you know, five people there. Maybe the cattle were lowing. You know the whole thing. I, I, how did these shepherds find Jesus? I think they had to go into town and they had to start asking questions and eventually they found him. And my guess is that there are more gathered. In fact, I think we can tell this even from the text. Look at it. It says in verse 18, and all who heard it. The, these shepherds were dramatically retelling the, re, the account of all that had happened to them. And it says that all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. To wonder is to be amazed. The word means to be astonished, to marvel, to be, if I could put it this way, stunned and staggered. It's even got an element of fear in it at times. And you look throughout Luke's gospel and the book of Acts and the other gospel accounts and what you will find time after time after time is that when people encounter Jesus, they marvel, they wonder. To hear Christ to see him work, nobody comes away from a genuine encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ unaffected. No, this is holy ground, and these shepherds 
have wondered and they have told of the things that they encountered and those who were there wondered along with them. Look at verse 19, we see the wonder of Mary. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. There are no less than three accounts, and I'm sure there were hundreds, but there are no less than three accounts where we catch Mary again reflecting and wondering at the things that were happening. Not wondering like, duh, but wondering like, whoa, unbelievable. How can this be type of wondering? You think about it, Mary and Joseph were already very aware of all that the shepherds were relaying to them about their son. They'd had an encounter with angels themselves. And the angels had told them what was going on. They knew. Elizabeth knew. And yet here we find Mary again wondering about this, how amazing it was to hear about this child from the mouths of others. Now there's a buzz in the air in Bethlehem and, and, and the people can, can, are talking about their son in the grandest of terms. Look over at verse 33. You remember about a, a little while later, you remember that, that Mary and Joseph go up to Jerusalem and, and they meet with this older man, Simeon, And Simeon speaks these great words, Lord, you're releasing your bondservant, verse 29, to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. He had Jesus in his arms. A light of revelation to the Gentiles. Wait, did I say that again? Verse 31, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And here's Joseph and Mary listening to all this. And it says his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. This word treasured, that Mary treasured, means to preserve, to keep safe, to keep close. The idea is that she was holding on to these things, keeping them under guard. She was protecting what was precious to her. She was fixed and she was focused and just relishing in the moment, in the counsel of her own heart, delighting in all that was being said about her son. And then the word pondering means to throw together to discuss or to, she, she's having a discussion, if you will, in her heart. She's having a conversation within herself. She's thinking over all of the months since she was visited by the angel and told about this son who would be hers, how, how he would be born of a virgin and how all that, all that she'd encountered in going up to Elizabeth and, and all, all that transpired there and she's rummaging through all of this stuff, all that she knew. We already pointed out, right, that, that Mary knew a lot of, of her Bible. She was very well instructed in the word of God and she's, she's coupling those, those truths that she knew from the Old Testament with the reality of this child who is now in this manger and she is blown away.
It has been well said that where there is no wonder, there is no worship. My friend, do you wonder at the reality of your salvation? Have you gotten off the treadmill of life long enough to contemplate the reality that God became flesh that you might be saved? This is why we have got to slow down. This is why God gave you a book and not a video. This is why the one-minute devotional is something that you should put away. Unless you have no devotions whatsoever, one minute would be better for you. But what we ought to be looking towards, my friends, is marveling at the reality of all that God is and all that he's done for sinners such as us. Yes? Yes. You cannot appreciate a great city by flying over it at 600 miles an hour, right? We just finished putting all that stuff on our face in the last two weeks. You cannot enjoy a gourmet, delicious gourmet meal. Nobody takes that meal that's been prepared at the table, painstakingly prepared. It's delicious. Nobody scoops all that up and, and plops it in, 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 in a blender and just blends it for, for 30 seconds and then drinks it while you're heading out the door because you got something to do. That would not be wonderful. It'd be gross, frankly. But boy, how we Vitamix the Word of God, I'll tell you. Give me my one minute Bible and my patent prayer. And let me sleep in. For heaven's sakes, I need some sleep. Oh, now you're playing unfair, Dave. No, I am not. Jesus rose up long before daylight, as was his pattern of life. And we have been beckoned by God to worship him and to wonder at him, to pray to him, to know him, through the pursuit of him in this Bible and in the word to grow in our faith and our knowledge to behold Christ in fellowship with one another so that our lives become rich. We behold the Lord and as such we're conformed from glory to glory. Friend, don't excuse it. Sit with the discomfort and let it propel you to greater faithfulness. Let it propel you this first day of 2023 to a new start and a new resolution to know him more, know not to be perfect and know certainly not to put all of that stuff on some checklist as if your salvation depends on how much time you spend in your Bible. No, but look inside of you and you'll see there is a love for Christ. And pursue him, pursue knowing him.
and wondering at him. Oh, did these shepherds wonder. It wasn't just Mary and the others. <laughs> Listen, uh, uh, the point is not pace and efficiency in life. The point is pondering and enjoyment of your God who gives you good things to be enjoyed in him with gratitude. I've been treasuring up all night and frankly I've been treasuring up this morning Many of you know my dad, many of you have been in Bible studies with him here. And what a joy last night to sit around the table with his first great-grandchild and to hear him He's not a man of many words. But he's grown a ton there. And to hear him unprovoked, compelled of his own desire to just reflect in front of the family on God's richness toward him. in his children, in his, great, in his grandchildren, in his great-grandchild. He, he was just delighting. Yes, in the gift. Yeah, in the gift. But ultimately the giver. He was so thankful to the Lord for God's goodness to him. This legacy of faith and believing children, children who love the Lord and honor and respect, where honor and respect is, he was just, he was full and he was brimming over. Fathers, that's a good, that's a good night at your dinner table. I hope you do it. I hope you courage up, whether it's through your tears or not. But you put on display the worship of the goodness of God who's given you so many, so many good things around your table. Where did all of that come from? This beautiful, worshipful moment. Where did it come from in my dad's life? It came from this, and, and, and let this anchor down deep within you. It came from wonder. It came from reflection. It came from pondering and treasuring and thinking and being quiet enough to contemplate the goodness of God. Listen, gratitude is born of reflection. 
It really is. That's the way you cultivate it. You think about these things. And worship is born of wonder. We need to wonder more. Well, let's look briefly at the worship and the witness of the shepherds. We come to these shepherds and, 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 and we think about their response to all that they've seen and heard. And I tell you, every person here this morning has something that they can draw, something that's instructive from their example. Listen, I wanna speak first to those of you who have not come to embrace the full meaning of Christmas yet. Many people go through Christmas and completely miss it. Not these shepherds. Look back at verse 15. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem. Do you, do you get a sense that there's some chatter going on here? One guy to the other guy to the other guy. We gotta go. What do you wanna do? Let's go. They, they've gotta go. They go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing which has happened which the Lord has made known to us. Friend, listen, if you do not know Christ yet, you need to make like these shepherds and beeline it to that manger. That manger led to a cross and that cross leads to heaven and the knowledge of God. Come to Christ, make a beeline to Jesus. They don't go take a scenic route they go straight to Bethlehem, the text says, and they came in a hurry to see him. Come bow before the king that you might know him, devote your life to him. He must take his rightful place as your Lord. There has been this morning, not as dramatic, not as well stated, but there has been no doubt this morning this same announcement has been made to you. He is Jesus Christ. He is Lord and he is a savior who is given for you. What are you gonna do with the Christ child? That is the critical question of all of life. That is the ultimate question. It determines everything. 80 years is a microscopic dot on the timeline of eternity, if we can even talk about such a thing that will go on forever and ever and ever. And you have this life to determine what you are going to do with that life that was in the manger and was later crucified for sinners. Receive him or reject him. Those are your two options. Lukewarm, God wants to spit you out of his mouth. Come to him. It's good news of great joy, which is for you. Don't turn away from this good news from God. And brothers and sisters in Christ, my question to you is this, are we like, this is where I've been pressing on my own heart and I trust by the spirit of God, are we like these shepherds? Is our heart their heart? Do we share their enthusiasm or do you perhaps, like me at times, look at it and say, well, yeah, they were new in the faith. They were, you know, zealous for Jesus, but a mature believer doesn't have that kind of zeal, does he? Oh man, I hope so. I hope the zealous for Christ in this church are not the, the young. I hope the young see in us 
a zeal and a stability and a maturity of faith and earnestness of faith that is so obvious to them that they have, we, we've thrown them some shade. They have a path to follow in this life. Friends, are we still filled with wonder and with worship? Will we even leave this service today glorifying God for all that we've heard and seen just has been told us? I hope so. I hope you will not skip into lunch and get back to the mundane. Wonder. And I would ask the second question, and that is this, is all that wonder and worship spilling out of your mouth in witness? Is it obvious to other people that you wonder and worship? Verse 17, when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. You see, their treasuring Christ led to them telling of Christ. And this is the burden on my heart, brothers and sisters, this day. I'll just be really transparent with you. One of my great pastoral burdens is that we would not huddle up as a group of people who are unified in Christ and love one another in Christ because we do and it's the best and it will be for all eternity. The one thing we will not be able to do for all eternity is speak of the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ crucified for sinners to sinners. We've got to stay at the work I and I know my other shepherds here, if I can take the liberty of speaking for them, are so concerned that we would get wrapped up in all the political wrangling, that our hearts would be sentimentally drawn back to, to yesteryear, to the way it used to be, back when it was God and America and apple pie. Folks, have we ever been living for that? If so, may we repent. Again, another good gift from God. But our kingdom is not of this world, is it? Is this what we're living for? Is, is that what we pin our hopes on? The next election? Conservative legislation. If we can just get the right people in the right places to crank the right levers, we'll get a revitalized economy and energy independence and kingdom of heaven on earth. No. Again, those things are pleasant gifts of God that have been ours to enjoy. But beloved, has it occurred to you that he may just be taking all of that away? And I for one say, while I regret it, while I do have a heart for yesteryear, I do remember my youth and some of the wonders and the freedoms that we enjoyed that I feel like we've lost. I've got to tell you, there's something about losing some of that that sharpens your focus, doesn't it? It gets your eyes fixed where they ought to be. And it draws us to the ultimate reality. Americana will not go on forever. Christ will. His kingdom will. Righteousness will. The kingdom of God, my friends, that has to stay before us. That, that is the main thing we need to be, be engaging in this world with others that we might see them come to Christ. That's the message of the church.
So many believers have grown discouraged and disheartened in the midst of all of this that we get very distracted and ultimately derailed from the very thing for which we exist in this earth, on this earth. Again, everything else can be done in heaven. This cannot. And somehow my heart is that I would grow apathetic and uncaring and maybe even angry and bitter at the lost who are blind and darkened in their understanding that somehow I would pin them with their deception and I would, I would, I would, I would hold them account for all of, that they don't understand. Beloved, you only understand it because God has been super gracious to you and it ought to be producing in you and in me a heart of pity and compassion for people who do not know the favor of God in the way that we have. Oh, how grace should compel us to humility and to mercy, and it should pry open our lips to speak the truth of the good news of great joy for all the people. A Savior has been given for them. How will they know? except for you. I'm not around the people in your world. These people, yes. But beloved, this is God's plan that when we're dispersed from this place, each one of us has a small realm of people whom we touch with our lives and they, they touch ours and, and that, is, that is the place. We're not talking here about evangelism ministries. We're talking about a work, a service of the church where each believer takes responsibility and the joy, frankly, of testifying to this good news. And this should be such an encouragement to us, really. Because I'm just going to keep saying it, that we have a message of what? Good news of great joy, which is for all people. And I tell you, that's not the way most of us think about evangelism. We approach it with a mindset that's utterly and diametrically opposed to that. We come at it with our dukes up. We come at it as if it were a message of bad news, one that was essentially depressing and that ultimately is only for a select few. Yeah, but Calvin said... Well, he didn't, actually. Are we okay out there? Do I need to speak up? We got a mic? Am I out? We okay, Bear? Good. Brothers and sisters, I went to Grace Gems. Some of you know of the site. There's a lot of old Puritan stuff that's been recorded there, snippets and quotes and sermons and other stuff. And a lot of times I go there to, to get a quote or something. I went there to look at evangelism and I was just, again, I, I was just struck by what I saw. They had to have 50, 60, I don't know, 100 quotes listed there. And almost every one of them without exception was all in the minor key. It was all warning and threat and brimfire. And, and I thought to myself, man, 
in part, we've missed it. It is right and it is necessary to warn the impenitent. Jesus warned. The apostles warned. We must warn. Have you all heard me? Don't call me saying, what are you saying? We just need to say good things to people? No, listen. There is a time to warn. There is a time to speak about hell, undoubtedly. What the gospel is is not fully what the angels preach here, but I want you to cling to what the angels preached and consider the tone and the tenor of your evangelistic outreach, or if there is none of that, at least what's going on in your heart. And you'll think, you know, this is all about polemic. This is all about argument. No! This is an announcement of good news, of great joy for you if you'll receive it. You see, that message I'm excited to share. I encourage you to take a page from these herald angels and from these exuberant shepherds. The message that came from their mouths was as hope for heaven to all who believe. It was that the gospel is good news, not bad. It's that joy is its produce, not sorrow. It's as a message of blessing for all who will come. And faith, we know, beloved, comes by hearing and hearing by a preacher. And when Paul wrote those words, he was not talking about me so much as he was talking about anyone who would be a kerux, who would declare the wonder of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's on you as well as me. And it is our privilege and our joy My friend, they will only hear if you tell them. And my prayer is that in, in, in 2023, we will learn to speak. Here's the resolution. Learn to speak of good tidings, of great joy to all the people. I want to be determined, individually and us as a church, till the day we die, to bring a message of hope for the hopeless. And the hopeless are never going to feel as hopeless as they are feeling now, as they've been given full vent to run their route and they find that that too is a dead end. They need the message from your mouth and mine. And my prayer is that we would have more of the heart of Charles Spurgeon who implored those under his care. These were his words. Oh, my brothers and sisters in Christ, if sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stop and not madly destroy themselves. And if hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go there unwarned and unprayed for. Beloved, and I mean that, don't take my enthusiasm for these truths as being grumpy, I'm not. 
I've believed this message, it's a good one, and I believe it, and it's produced in my life great joy, and I know you share that joy, and my delight in you, though minimal in comparison to God's delight in you, but I rejoice in you, but I am urging us as well. Those two things can go together, yeah? You parents love your kids, and yet you urge them earnestly because you love them, I'm urging you earnestly. Take up this gospel of good news and make it known. May Christmas, this Christmas, serve to kindle in us wonder and worship at the God who loved us and gave us his son. And may this new year find us with fresh resolve to boldly, joyfully, gladly, compassionately declare the gospel, which is good news of great joy for all the peoples. Let's pray as the music team comes forward. Our Father, you have given us a task not to saddle us with something, Lord, not to, not to burden us with something. You've really given to us what is a, a joy to declare. This gospel of a son given, an only son, a unique son given, Lord, to the world, that those who are believing might not ever suffer the pains of hell, but know the joys of eternal life forever and ever. And Lord, you have promised that where your word goes forward, you accomplish your purposes. And so I pray that you would shift our thinking about evangelism, Lord, that we might greet it with a, with a smile and with eagerness, just as these shepherds did, to rise up and tell others what we have come to know because you've been super gracious to us. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for sending your son for the undeserving. Thank you for the cross. Thank you, Lord, for the promise of eternal life that you have adopted us and seated us even now in Christ in heaven. And Lord, that is our future end. And we couldn't be gladder for that reality that you have spared us in your love, the torment of hell. And Lord, I pray that you would produce in us an eager and zealous desire to make your name known. That's our heart's desire. Help us to that end, we pray. Amen.